So today we're talking about peace, and I guess I want to start with a couple of questions, then we're going to pray, then we're going to get into today's material, I guess, but I wanted to ask the question, what is peace anyway? As we set out to talk about peace, I mean, we talked about hope and, and joy and love, but, but what is peace? What does that look like? Maybe a second question we could ask is this, does Christmas seem peaceful, Right? I mean, does it seem like it's full of peace? At times, leading into the Christmas season, it can seem like it's anything but peaceful, right? We've had tons and tons of gatherings and celebrations and, you know, work gatherings and so much stuff happening and so many obligations, it can very much feel like there is no peace. So today we want to talk about what it looks like to have peace at Christmas. I want to remind you, Mike did a great job earlier doing this as well, but on the Christmas Eve uh, service at the barn, it's by nature a very peaceful setting. It's hard to bring a bunch of noise and clamor into a barn filled with straw. It's kind of a quiet space. And so I want to remind you again that there are invites in the back. If you want to invite someone to join us for Christmas Eve or for worship any Sunday, we'd love to have them here during the Christmas season. So you can do that. Second thing I talked about before was to pray for people who've been invited maybe who you're inviting. How about this? If there's someone that you want prayer for, we have those prayer cards. Write their name on there. We would love to be praying with you for that person. We don't have to know details about what the prayer needs are. We can take those, and we'll pray more specifically. But if there's someone you just want prayer for, just write down a name. We would love to be praying for, for the people that you're praying for in your life, that we can join you in that and pray for those that God is, is drawing near. And then the third we talked, thing we talked about before was uh, showing some love this season, you know, going the extra mile with people, right? Um, actually spending time and having conversations and not blowing people off. It's easy to get hectic in the season and not pay attention to what God is doing right among us. And we praise God for what he's doing among us, so be more attentive and love people. Well, we're going to we're going to pray. We always do this. It's a great privilege and honor. I hope we understand that. Like fundamental in our lives, whether you pray on your, you know, drive to work in the morning, whether you pray in the shower, whether you pray when you wake up or pray when you go to sleep or you pray at your meals or you pray in church on Sundays, I hope we understand what a privilege it is to even talk to God this way and pray um, that he might lead us, right? And not just on Sundays, but on every day of our life that we might wake up and say, okay, God, lead me today. What are you going to have for me today? And at the end, you know, God, thank you for this day. So we're going to do that. We're going to pray. God's alone with wisdom. We're going to ask him for it. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much. And the words that I've said to my friends here are absolutely true. To be able to talk to you is a gift from you that we do not deserve. Had you not revealed yourself to us through your son, uh, we would not know who you are or how to speak to you. Would you not have revealed yourself through your scriptures, we would not have known your glory and your magnificence and the, the worship that you are due, the profound reality of who you are. And Father, without you, we'd have no wisdom. Uh, you are the lone source of wisdom. And so, Father, this morning we come to you and just, just trusting you with what you're going to teach us today. We pray that whatever is going on, that this place would be a place of peace, that we could find a sanctuary and rest in you. And that um, if at no other time during a week, <laughs> we might be able to draw near into you, we might do it now because we are here. Help us to see the things you want us to see, hear the things you want us to hear, know the things you want us to know, and believe the things you want us to believe. May we live them out. May we live differently because we know you. Um, we love you so much. There is no end, really, Father, to the opportunities we have to glorify you, to praise your name, to change our lives, our hearts, our minds, to be bent after you, and just to worship you. And so today we, we seek to do that as well. May you be glorified 
as your people come to you together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with a, a psalm again this week, just because there's you know, so much awesome wisdom and instruction in the Psalms. And so I'm going to ask you if you want to turn to Psalm 46. Uh, push one more. There we go. Psalm 46. Um, the page is up there on the screen. It's going to be page 393. And we're just going to read and discuss this together. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one off the end of the chair row next to you. They're there for you to use. By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own and you want one, would you talk to me after service? We have some awesome Bibles. We'd love to have you. If you have one of those, so um, chat with me or one of the leadership team, and we'll get you a, a Bible um, that you can have as well. Psalm 46 reads like this. I'm going to read it together and we'll talk about it. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her and she will not fall. God will help her at, break, at the break of day. Nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. What a beautiful poem or, or um, song written to the Lord about his absolute sovereignty. I wanted to start with that, this psalm because I wonder what are the refuges in your life. Like as we're coming into Christmas and thinking about our real lives and how they work, what are the places that you run to when you need shelter from the storm? What, what does it look like? The psalmist here writes that the Lord is our fortress, right? That's actually how the psalm starts. God is our refuge and our strength. He's our fortress, He's our uh, place to be secure and safe. Have you ever been in a really bad storm in life? I'm not talking like a theoretical, theological, something else, spiritual storm. I'm talking about, have you ever been in a really bad physical storm in your life? I remember one time whenever I was a kid, uh, I was raised in a mobile home park, trailer park, right? They're famous for attracting tornadoes. If you don't know that about mobile homes, um, that's kind of that's the joke, right? Like if you live in a trailer park, you're going to get hit by a tornado. There's like an 80% chance you're going to hit by a tornado, right? But you know what it is? I think the people who live in mobile homes, you know the uncertainty of your status when you're in the middle of a storm, right? I remember when I was a little kid, we'd have storms, and they would be kind of bad storms. The little kids get worried about storms. Oh, mom, I'm worried about the storm, you know. And it's okay, go back to bed. You're fine, you're fine, you know. But there are times that mom got worried about the storms. There were times that the whole house would move, in the storm. Now, that's interesting because where do you go when everything that you have is in a, a, a place that has no stability? 
I remember one time, this only happened one time that I can recall, we were, I was a kid, and there was a really bad storm, a really bad storm, and uh, I was freaking out, and I was like waking up my mom, and she was starting, she was freaking out too, the trailer was popping and cracking, things were blowing around, it was this craziness, right, Midwest storm, and in the middle of the storm, she says, I think we have to make a run for your aunt's house. See, we had an aunt and uncle that lived like a block and a half from where our trailer was, and they had a house with a foundation and walls and a chimney and the fireplace and all that stuff. And in the middle of the storm, it got so bad, she says, I think we need to make a run for it because where we were wasn't safe. And I remember two things about it. I remember feeling insecure about where we were, but I remember feeling, if we get to my aunt's house, it's going to be different. I can tell you when we walked through the door and you felt the concrete on your feet and you stood in front of that huge hearth, you felt like, yes. We're safe from the storm. The trailer might blow away, but we're safe from the storm. That's what I think about when I think of, of God. Like if I think about a secure place that I can run to, where the noise and the wind isn't under and over and around, and the things aren't quaking, you can run into this presence of God, and, and, and all of a sudden everything is solid, quiet, secure, warm, welcoming, comforting. Have you ever been in a really bad storm? I think all of us, all of us can remember a time in our life where we've been caught in a really bad storm. There's a thread that's been consistent throughout all these weeks of hope and love and joy and peace. And I, it struck me as I was preparing for this, you know what the thread's been? Fear. Fear has been the common thread between all these ideas of Christmas. Um, you remember uh, in the first week we talked about um, hope and fear and fear kind of um, crushing hope. Like, like that's what fear does is it crushes our hope. We talk about uh, perfect love overcomes all fear. That's what the scripture says, right? And then we talked about last week, don't be afraid. I bring good news of great joy. But don't be afraid. Be joyful. And now here again, in the psalmist. Verse 2 says, therefore, what? Why? Because God is there. God is our peace. God is our refuge. Therefore, do not be afraid. We will not fear. If you read the verse and what it says, it's really profound. Although the earth passes away, and you can think about that like in the eons of the earth dissolving, right? Or you can think about it like it's just the, the ground falling off on your feet. Although those things happen in your life, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in trouble. That's why you don't fear. So just like hope and joy and love beat fear. So does the peace of God. As a matter of fact, some people may believe, and I've heard it well said once, some people believe that um, peace means the absence of fear. Peace, peace means the absence of difficulty, I should say, right? Like that, you know, you're, you're peaceful when everything's going well in your life. But just like hope and joy and love, peace is actually something that's on the other side of our experience. It's a, a, a destination. It's a goal. It's a, it's a place we come to that we can look forward to that is surely ours because it's promised to us in spite of the circumstances. I'm trying to think of this um, story I had heard 
but there was, uh, it was of a painting, I believe, and it's of this kind of crazy rushing waterfall, and there was a branch that was sticking out of the waterfall, and in the branch was a nest with a bird in it, right? And they said, that's what peace looks like. Despite everything around you going absolutely crazy, you have comfort in the middle of the craziness. It's not that there's no craziness. It's that you have peace. And this is the peace that we are granted in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and in God himself. God himself. Therefore, do not fear, though the earth gives way. And then down in verse 10, I want to hit this, and it says, be still and know that I am God, right? After all the things of the calamities, it says that he's bringing peace. He's, he's bringing peace in the whole earth. He says, therefore, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among all the nations. I will be exalted amongst all the earth. Be still and know that I'm God. I want to talk about one more word, and then we're going to move into another scripture. But here, listen to this. I think it was three times, four times. Let's see here. One, two, three, four times. No, three times in this psalm, the word Selah came up. Selah was a little like a little detour for me. I don't know uh, if you know what Selah means. Does anybody know what Selah means? Yeah? So you're not alone. No one really knows what Selah means. That's kind of an interesting word in the Bible. It's there. It's written down. Um, some people believe it has something to do with musical tenor of what the song is to be sung right? Some people believe it, it's a word communicated to the people who are using the song, how you sing it. But, but uh, either way, some definitions I love that I found this week was it's, it's like the, the rock or the, the thing that binds us together, Selah. I always want to substitute peace for Selah. When I hear Selah, I want to say peace for some reason, right? This is what I found out this week. When the word says Selah, it means stop for a minute and consider this. So you sing a song, and then after the song, that verse, this year, there's three of them here, there's three verses, you sing the verse of the psalm, and then you stop, and you consider the profound depth of what God's communicating to his people when he says things like, I am a refuge and a strength, a present help, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Think about what that means for your life. Instrumentally, um, they've said that it could have been an instrumental break to give you time to reflect on the word. Lest we press on to the next verse and not catch what was just said to us. That he's bringing peace. And that um, we should be still and know that he is God. Listen. That he will be glorified amongst all the nations. That's all the people groups. And that he will be glorified from all the earth. Consider that. As we enter into Christmas, consider that reality. I want to share another psalm with you that I don't have um, uh, on the screens. I'm just going to turn there. Psalm 29. You can turn if you want. It's a little bit to, your le to the left. But I just want to read it. I think it's profound. This is David, and he's writing of the glory of God. And I just want you to hear the word and the profound nature because we can fear so much stuff in life. We can fear so many situations and circumstances. But I want you to hear this word. Ascribe to the Lord O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Oh, man, that's a great verse. Listen. There, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. 
the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. I want to stop for a second here. This is the idea of the power and glory of who God is. I, I don't know the cedars of Lebanon. Like, I don't have a reference for that, but I've been to California, the redwood forest, those huge trees. And what the psalmist is saying is the voice of the Lord shatters trees like that, like the power and the splendor and the glory of, of his presence, of who he is. Verse 6, he makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox, like dancing animals. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sets enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people, and the Lord blesses his people with what? Peace. I think that's the funniest way to end that psalm. The Lord strengthens his people and blesses them with peace. Did you hear the, the signs of God's glory? Like trees being ripped out of the ground and shattered and spread. I mean, his voice speaking forth and like just laying waste to forests and causing things to go crazy. And at the end of all that, he says, the Lord is the strength of the people. He blesses them with peace. Man, I think that sometimes we can believe that all the chaos around us, like God's absent from all the chaos around us, you know? Like, like oh, this is noise. I got to get it quiet. But what's the word say? That he blesses us with peace in the midst of all the reality of who he is. In the middle of everything that he's doing. He blesses his people. I love that. I love that the psalmist writes with such passion about who God is and what God is doing. So we have an opportunity for peace. A couple places, right? Peace in our life, and, and, and that we should understand, right? Like when the storms come, a refuge and a strength, and our times of need, a shelter, right? We have that, a sure and certain hope in our times of trouble. But then we have the idea that we have peace with God, with God. God himself. Like we have peace with God. He blesses us with it, which is a different thing to have peace in this life, to have peace with God. It's not the same thing to be comfortable with what's happening in this life versus being comfortable with the Lord himself in his presence. And that is a gift to the people of God. I'll share with you uh, from Isaiah the prophet Let's see if I have it here. Yeah. Isaiah 9, 6. Last week we were on Isaiah 9, 3. Check this out. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Simple, simple verse of Scripture. Unto us a child is given. And unto us a son is born. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. A child is born and the son is given to us. That we have the opportunity um, to uh, experience God in this intimate way. But I want to point out something else. Because we know that's what Christmas is about. We know Christmas is about the baby coming. We know that's what it's about. It says the government will be on his shoulders. I want to unpack that for a second, right? 
The government we put upon his shoulder. Just kind of mixed in the middle of the verse there. What does that mean? The government will be on his shoulders. You remember in the New Testament, Paul writes to church often, and he would say, you know, and matter of fact, as I was prepping, to live at peace is one of the greatest commands we have in the New Testament. To live at peace amongst all men, as much as it's up to us, to live at peace with the governments who are over us, it's, it's a call that God has made to his people. What would, why would Paul have such a passion that we'd be peaceful? Why would he have such a passion that we would pursue that? I think we can see it here in Isaiah the prophet. The government is put upon his shoulders. The government is upon who Jesus is. Now, there's two ways to look at this. The one is that the worldly government, the government that you and I serve under, the government that other nations serve under, and even the governance of governances, right? Like things like um, the collaboration of nations, and if there's ever one, you know, ruler that's going to be under the authority of Jesus, going to be resting upon who Jesus is. That's one way to look at it. And so, like, Paul, we can take great comfort and say, the Lord has appointed everyone for a season. He's appointed everyone. If you read the biblical um, story of leadership, it's not a great story when it's the leadership of man. It's not. <laughs> it is not. Like, if you look at the scriptural story of men, just give us a man to follow, if you ever had that, that every time it happens, it's a disaster. But they're appointed by God for that season. This, Isaiah says that the government will be upon his shoulders. Oh, that's one thing. Don't miss that. There's nothing that's happening that God is absent from. Press, I thought, man, what does it mean to have it upon your shoulders? It means what it sounds like. You're holding it up. It rests right here around your neck, right? He's carrying it. He's carrying all of it. But government also means things like kingdom, authority, right? Power rests upon his shoulders. That there's this other thing that's happening, that Jesus is bearing this other thing that to fruition, which is the coming kingdom of the Lord, of, of God himself. That that government, that that governance is upon his shoulders. And then you think about that reality, and you might be able to, with me, imagine that Jesus at 30 years old and he's teaching, walking among the disciples, or Jesus when he's 33 and getting ready to take the cross, right? That you can see a young, strapping Jesus carrying the authority of all governance and all kingdoms upon his shoulders. You could think that, right? But when you back up to the manger, you go, what? On the baby? On his shoulders. The governance will rest. That's radical. That's a radical thought. We see it in the cross, but do you see it in the manger? When he comes, that the government will rest upon his shoulders. And then there's these titles of, of, uh, of reality. I want to say accolades. It's not like an artificial, like, oh, praise and praise him. Like, it's reality of, of who he is. And we're going to just talk about these couple that are mentioned. Uh, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I want to talk about those last two I would love to know the answer to this question. I was digging into this a little bit, and the, the way it reads in Greek is, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting prince of peace. And everlasting is like a self-sustained title, but everywhere I see it translated, everlasting father. I have no problem with it, right? Everlasting father. But I wonder where that comes from, because it means it's like his eternal 
promise and presence. It's the, it's the perpetual reality of who God is in our lives. That that's this child that's going to be born. That's this son that's going to be given. This everlasting promise. And, and, and it's a big deal to have, be able to realize that, you know? Not just, I mean, here's the problem. If you look at the reality of who Jesus is in the model of the everlasting everything else in your life becomes such a silly issue. Like, if you look at the reality of who God is and everlasting and his promises are everlasting, and you look at, like, such minor, minor problems like what I'm going to do with today, what I'm going to do with this one situation, what I'm going to do at work tomorrow, or what I'm going to do with my life for the next five years, it's such a minor issue compared to the everlasting reality of who God is. It gives us a right scope and scale for our difficulties or our, our problems. And then it finishes, so it's got um, a wonderful counselor, mighty God. These are all important. I'm not trying to minimize anything. Everlasting Father. And then at the end, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Shalom. The bringer of wholeness. That's what that means. The, the bearer, the one who is promised that will bring peace to the world. Some of my favorite songs this time of year are songs about peace. But you know, the, I, I get cynical and I go, man, it's so idealistic, isn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. We sing those songs and you know, look at the news or our neighbors or ourselves, the guy in the mirror, the girl in the mirror, and you just go, where's that peace? Why, why don't we experience that peace? But here it is, it's, it's a promise. It's a promise to us that he will be called the Prince of Peace. I want to jump forward now into the New Testament. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. Just a couple of verses after what we looked at last week as well. I'll push this one more time for you all. Luke 2, 13 and 14. We ask that question, where is this peace in our lives this comes in the middle of the announcement, right, that the angels are making. We just, last week we talked about, you know, this good news of great joy for all people, right? That's what's happening. But then we want to see this um, revelation that's brought. Verse 13, Luke 2, 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Or peace, to, uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men. You may have heard it said that way before, right? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests, on those that he's pleased with. Bring peace. I want you to notice that in the middle of this revelation from the angel, there's still something that God surprises them with. The word says it happens suddenly, unexpectedly, you might say. And you go, well, what's unexpected? And you read that. What in the world is a heavenly host? Does anyone know what a heavenly host is? Like, I mean... I don't have a category for it, right? And so I was digging. I'm like, what does that mean? There's an angel who's saying, I bring good news of great joy. Don't be afraid. It's for all people. And, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of that, as if that's not enough, unexpectedly, the heavenly host goes, wah, reveals itself. And this was striking to me. The idea of a host is a warrior. 
or a soldier. What? <laughs> that there's this idea of all those who are encamped. Um, the word actually comes from the, the word camp, to camp, camp around, right? And when soldiers would go and they would be preparing for battle or being preparing for, for war, they would lay out their camps. And you can imagine if you're on a hill or horizon and you're looking down at a, a soldier's camp uh, at night, you would see all these kind of like lined up, you know, uh, fires and maybe tents and maybe equipment and maybe thing, but people, right? People who are ready, who are ready for war, who are ready to go, who are ready to fight. And the heavenly host was revealed unexpectedly to these um, shepherds. It's these uh, God-oriented warriors who are prepared. They're ready. I'm like, that's such weird language for Christmas. Suddenly, unexpectedly, the heavenly hosts. But then look at what they do. And this is what I want to dig into a little bit, man. Look what they do. It says, the heavenly hosts were seen praising God. That's what they do. They were praising God, and they were saying what? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. This is the job. They're proclaiming the goodness of God all the time. That's what they're doing. These warriors, because it's such a weird thing to think, why in the world would you be the prince of peace and you have all these warriors proclaiming your arrival? But they're praising God for who he is. They're praising God for his splendor, and they're giving glory to God that he's rightly due. And in the moment, listen, in the field with the sheep, the shepherds, get to have this divine revelation of who God is and the majesty, the splendor, and the scope and scale. As a matter of fact, another way this has been interpreted, the heavenly hosts are like the stars of the sky. But it's not enough to say well, the stars of the sky because you know why? The stars of the sky were there all the time. You know, no one walks outside and looks at the stars in the sky and goes, wow, look at that. I mean, once in a while we do it, right? But by and large, the shepherds had seen plenty of stars in the sky, right? But suddenly, unexpectedly, they have this revelation of the heavenly host that the entire sky is filled with these warriors who are praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And then what? Peace on earth for those on whom his favor rests, right? Peace. Peace to mankind. I have a question I wonder, do you know? Because sometimes you feel like, how do you fight? You know, you, 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 uh, you take the power, you know, you get revenge, you seek it out, you know, you're, you're going to get in a battle. But how many of us recognize, like these great warriors in God's kingdom, that the way that we do battle is through praise and glory? That might seem counterintuitive, Right? Praise and glory. That's how you do battle in spiritual warfare. That's how you do battle in real life. When the storms of life come and you're looking for that shelter refuge, what do you do? You praise God for who he is and you glorify him for his presence, his promises, and the reality of his life with us. That's how we do battle. Do you know that praise and glory is warfare in your life? Do you know that? And I, I know some of you, we got, all got, you know, baggage maybe from church experience. And you're like, oh, man, one of those, like, listen, I'm not saying anything, but in a genuine, anything, I'm not saying anything outside of what you think God's calling you to do. But in the moment, some real manifestation, whether it's a quiet manifestation of your heart, going, God, I know you got this. I know you got this. That's praise and worship. That's praise and glory. 
or whether it's you saying it out loud, God, I know you got the praise and glory to you. You are worthy to be praised. Like, that's spiritual warfare. And that's the proclamation that comes with the angel. And it brings with it what? Peace. And on earth, peace. For those who have God's favor or for those who God is pleased with. Right? That would be his people, by the way. So what does it look like in our life, right? We're going to kind of turn the corner and wrap up here. But what does it look like? I'm going to ask the question again. For you, is Christmas peaceful? For me, is Christmas peaceful? If it's not, why isn't it? I don't know if you guys um, happened to catch this this week, but I wanted to sh- share this with you. I thought it was a perfect example of the beauty the beauty of Christmas that we all get to experience together. Check this out. Like, you know how it goes? It starts off all, like, sweet and innocent. Like, oh, yeah, we all love Jesus. And someone's like, I got Jesus. And you're like, oh, no, I got Jesus. My favorite thing at the end there is when Mary puts the sheep in the headlock. <laughs> you will put down that baby. <laughs> that's, that's what it's like. I mean, there's this idealistic thing of peace, but then the reality that we just can't help but almost kill each other. I love the, the, the mom or the director. That was, that was like this week in a church, last week I think in a church in uh, Kentucky, and uh, the, the uh, director runs up on stage like, okay, okay. Like that's funny to everybody, but that person usually. <laughs> uh, the kids are killing each other again. <laughs> um, I wonder how many times that that's how God views the manger scene. I wonder if that's how many, how many times that's the way God views us as his children. There's that moment where it's like really sweet. He's like, yeah. And then he's like, whoa, wait, whoa, easy, easy. Hey, 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 hit. Hands yourself. That's what it's going to look like. So the question then I want to wrap up with is this. How can we um, know peace and how can we bring peace at Christmas? How can we do those things in a practical way, right? And so I'm going to share a few scriptures with you as we consider that and as we close here. Um, the first is from the book of Colossians. I'm going to read a little bit around this verse. Um, Colossians 12, uh, th- Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, listen to the word here, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love that binds them all together in perfect unity. And then this verse. Then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. This idea that we are called to put on these things, you know, um, that it's not natural to us. So what can you do to experience peace and what can you do to bring peace? And I want, to re- I want just to read the list again because there is an active part here to be had and we, we ought to hear it. It says, as God's chosen people, holy and, that's a fact. Don't think that you're going to do something to become holy or you're going to do something to become like that you can change who you are intrinsically. The fact is that you are God's people and you are holy. You are loved by him. And that's the truth in Jesus Christ. 
He died for your sins. And if you recognize that, you are holy. You are blameless. And you are his children, his chosen people, as am I. Dearly loved. And then because of that, we can put on some things, some new vestments or some clothes for the season. It says what? Compassion or kindness. Or here's one, humility. You know, I don't have to have the baby Jesus out of there, right? Um, gentleness and patience. And then some clear instructions. Bear with each other and forgive each other. Like Jesus forgave you. This is the call God gives his church. Then overall, he's put love on, which brings them all together perfectly, right? Love kind of goes over all that stuff, and we get to be, and then this is my favorite. 15, then, let the peace of Christ reign. Isn't that funny? Then when you do these things, you're, you have kindness, you have humility, you, 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 know, you, you forgive people, you put on love, you just decide you're going to love people. Because Jesus loved us, we're going to love others. And in the middle of all that, all of a sudden, you get to wear peace. You get to bear peace. It says what? The peace of Christ, that's anointing, by the way, will rule in your hearts as member of one body. And then 16, let the word of Christ dwell inside of you richly as you uh, teach and admonish each other with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And then whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, to the Father, through him. Like this is the call for us, to be peace bearers. Put it all together and then sing the song and then praise God for it and then live in that place of thanksgiving, of saying, to God, thank you um, for all you've done. So we can clothe ourselves, but how we clothe ourselves in Christ Jesus, the holiness and the righteousness to be had is to be had in Christ Jesus. And then all those things we put on, it's not of ourselves then. It's not like, well, I got Jesus for salvation, but I'm gonna be humble now. We, we put on the humble humility of Christ. We, we put on the kindness of Jesus. We put on the long suffering. Listen, we put on the forgiveness. God, I can't forgive that person. Put on the forgiveness of Jesus. That changes everything. It gives a different scope. Why? The sight of eternity. The sight of his everlasting promise. We can put those things on and then know peace. Have peace. I told you earlier, one of the most prolific commands to the church in the New Testament is to live at peace with others. I have a verse here from Romans I want to share with you. Romans uh, 12 Coming up here, 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of every person. If it is possible, now listen to this, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, then, if your enemy is hungry, feed your enemy. If your enemy is thirsty, give your enemy something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon your enemy's head. Do not be overcome by evil, but instead, overcome evil with good. Right? We're called to live out that kind of radical peace to other people. 
We're called to live out that kind of rea- radical living in a, pe- in a peaceful knowledge. So we'll talk one, touch one thing and we'll move to the last thing, last point. Did you ever, you know, I, I think about our ideas of justice in this life. And, I, and as I watch people clamor and cry for justice almost daily, someone's offended, someone's mad, someone's angry, and maybe it's you. And you just want what's rightfully yours. You just want just what it is that you need to satisfy your own hurts or your own failures. And isn't it funny that it says, don't, don't retaliate in your anger and your hurt, but leave room for God's justice. Like, fundamentally, in our constant clamoring for justice now, you know, satisfaction now, we're thwarting what God has eternally planned to be his justice forever. That's what the word says, doesn't it? Leave room for God's justice. Have you ever... Um, I've been in a situation where, like, kind of like we saw in that video, where kids try to discipline one another. You know, you walk in the room, and the parent or you're just an adult in charge, and the kids are trying to, like, set each other straight. And there's that moment where they're getting out of control. You know, they're, I'm, you're going to do, you're going to do this. And they're like, and you walk in, you go, uh, excuse me. You know that moment? Wait a minute. I'm, I'm in charge here. And in that moment, you feel totally vindicated, don't you? you? We feel like that's the right, yes. I'm the parent, I'm the adult, I'm the authority, I'm in charge. But when it's us with our brothers and sisters, and we're squabbling, I'll tell you what I need from you. Oh, you're going to crawl, you're going to crawl, you're going to lick my boot. And then God's like, wait a minute. I'm in charge here. You know? Leave room. Like, that's one of the measures of how graceful are we being? Do we leave room for God's justice? Or are we like, we think we're God's Holy Spirit. We think we're God's Savior. We think we're God himself parting justice out as we see fit. Now leave room that we might have peace. Listen, live at peace, the word says. And uh, man, then it goes beyond that to, to just bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. The scripture says things like that, right? And leave room for God to do what God does. So, you go, man, that's, that's how do we do it? I told you earlier that story about running to my aunt's house. We do it by, by running to Jesus. Jesus has this great promise. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Yoke to me because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Or my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was struck by this idea. When we're out, we say, God, we don't know where else to run to. We just run to Jesus. Isn't it funny? He says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that yoke is what rests right around his shoulders. It's where the governments just rest upon Jesus. You flee to Jesus. Jesus, you got this. You, you've always had this. There is nothing that's beyond your plan here. And all of a sudden you realize that being bound to Jesus in that way, our burden is light. Our yoke is easy. Listen, the weight on our neck is lifted because it's upon him. Or from the Gospel of John, Jesus says these words. Peace I leave with you. Listen, 
My peace I give you. I don't give like the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because the peace that God gives us, the peace that Jesus is promising us, is an eternal peace. It's eternal. Is it for now? Yes. Is it for today? Yes. Is it for that relationship? Yes. <laughs> is it for tomorrow? Yeah. The next month? Yep. Next year? Uh-huh. A- after I die? Yes. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding and all storms. And this is the promise that Jesus made. And listen, if there's one thing you can be sure of, is you can count on the promises of Jesus. I don't know if you've done that in your life. You know, so I want to talk first just for a second to those who maybe haven't. I just want to encourage you to trust Jesus with your life. But I don't have to talk you into it because I think the Holy Spirit is compelling you to trust Jesus with your whole life. Jesus is different than anything else you've heard about. Jesus is the reality of God coming himself that we might be free from sin and forever set free from sin, forever in his presence, and that we might literally be covered by who he is. The word says this, we are no longer accountable for our own sins, but that God laid upon him the sins of us all that we might be saved. Literally a refuge in a time of need. So if you don't know that, I just encourage you to obey the Holy Spirit and live into that, pray into that. Not as a show, but as a real place in your heart. Jesus, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my salvation for eternity and live in that place. And then for the rest, those of us who've made that commitment, how about we live like we have, you know? Like, how about when we go, I'm not mad. Like, I get stressed out too, man. I don't feel at peace. Like, how about in that moment, instead of being like so fleshly, I remember that I'm trusting Jesus with everything. And that includes this little situation I'm facing right now. How do you have peace? I know Jesus. How do you have peace? You know Jesus. And so I would encourage you to live into that peace, to live into that place in your life where you can not only have peace for yourself, but become like a peace bearer to others. Bringing these gifts of Christmas in our journey. That's my prayer for all of us. I want to pray for that uh, right now. And uh, then we're going to conclude the services together today. Um, So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we uh, have today to come together. And Lord, you know uh, sometimes the battle in our soul, the the spiritual warfare that's happening, the uncertainty, the difficulty, the struggles that we have uh, internally, maybe even with accepting you. I pray that today we would have uh, a new uh, heart for you. That if there are those here who don't know you, that not that I would convince them and not that anyone here would convince them, but that you would convince us in our heart that we would recognize that we are sinful and fallen and and have no hope of salvation were it not for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gospel that begins in a manger and ends in heaven with you and intercedes on a cross in the meantime that that brings us the light and happiness and peace and joy. Father, Father, we thank you for the reality of the the scope and scale of what you've done uh, for all eternity. Lord, I pray that uh, for those of us who, who know you as Savior that we would just live in that place of peace Help us, help us to pull back and to clothe ourselves in those things that, that uh, Paul reminded the church to clothe ourselves in, um, that we might experience peace, that we might know peace and be able to offer it to others. Um, thank you so much for the work you're doing here. We believe it's you. I know it's you. 
I thank you for your uh, people who worship you and for the exhortation of the heavenly hosts to proclaim glory and honor and praise forevermore because you're worthy. We love you so much and we thank you for who you are and the blessings you give us. We pray a prayer of thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.